2 Timothy is where we are. Man, as I said a moment ago, when I introduced myself, uh, I am one of, the teach, one of the pastors here at Collective, specifically a teaching pastor, but one of the pastors here at Collective. And man, I don't know where you come from, but I know that word pastor can mean and infer an incredibly wide range of things in this moment. Like what it means to be a pastor right now. If I asked all of you in a, in a couple of words or a sentence to define and describe what a pastor is, uh, it, it would really be anybody's guess within this room. And I think some of this is because of the fact that we are at this tipping point, this, cri- this pastoral crisis within our nation where we don't know what a pastor is. And some of that comes to because we don't know what a church is meant to be because we don't know what Christians are meant to be. These are all tied up. But we are in a pastoral crisis, to say the least. I mean, one of the biggest podcasts last year that most, of, most all of you have listened to uh, was The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. How many of you guys, just a show of hands, how many of you at least know about Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? Okay, good, majority of you guys. So if you listened to it, or maybe you didn't, this was one of the biggest podcasts last year, and it was detailing the Seattle megachurch and the lead pastor there, Pastor Mark Driscoll, as this church grows to prominence within like the evangelical world. Celebrity pastor is kind of the the title of given to that, and to watch through the story being told as the church imploded in on itself around these issues of power, conflict, and celebrity. Last month, there was a big report that was published as the executive committee of the Southern Baptist uh, uh, Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in our country, as it re- let go and kind of detailed out how there had been uh, a covering of hundreds of sexual abuse cases within the denomination. This has also been seen similar in the Roman Catholic Church and even Hillsong, uh, the you know, international megachurch, the similar kinds of stories there. Sexual abuse being covered up, celebrity and growth, prominence all happening within this. Like, what does it mean to be, right? What does it mean to be a pastor? Like just, I just want, with all of this going on in the world and in your news feeds, it's insane to me right now that y'all show up on a weekly basis with some guy that has the word pastor in front of his name and you're like, I want to listen to this guy teach me the Bible. I, I, maybe that's just weird to me as I spend time on my news feed. I mean, less abhorrent but just as confusing is the invention and the growth of this new thing called the pastor slash influencer, the celebrity pastor common within our city being here in Los Angeles. Those who are, you know, rubbing shoulders in their Instagram feed is filled with hanging out with Bieber or Kanye or Oprah, the preachers in sneakers kind of Instagram model of pastors. You know, a couple generations ago it was private jets and now it's these giant, huge mansions. What does it mean to be a pastor? This is a huge question. What are pastors meant to do? What are pastors meant to be in the world? Who am I or Pastor Isaac or Pastor Lorenzo to you? For those of you that maybe you won't be here in Los Angeles forever, but you're going to move on and look for a new church, what should you be looking for in a pastor? It's, a, it's an important question that even as some of you are gathering here, like, I don't, I'm not planning on being a pastor, and that's great you know, to hear this from you, Ryan. Pastors set a, a how do I put this? Uh, churches are not made for pastors. Pastors are made for churches. But when we ask the question, what is a pastor meant to be? Depending on the answer that you have for that, that is going to then shape your answer for what is the church meant to be and what are Christians meant to be. So just to detail this, if you go down the celebrity church model, then the church then becomes an event and Christians then become consumers and fans. If you go down the pathway of some other one, what we answer about that question, what is a pastor meant to be, leads to all sorts of other implications. And so if you'll turn or tap to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
this morning, we have been, uh, you know, continuing in this letter that we started two weeks ago, where we've been looking at a letter written from the Apostle Paul as he's locked up in prison awaiting his execution in Rome as he writes to his young apprentice, his child in the faith, Timothy, as he's pastoring him on how to be a pastor. And so we're going to read this, study this today because we need to consider this. If you consider yourself a member of a of collective, a part of a church where you say there's some kind of spiritual authority or leadership that, my, that Ryan and Lorenzo and Isaac have over me, this is a vital question for you to answer. What do you expect from them? And what should you expect from them? But also, this is vital because it, it goes into the questions of what is the church and what are Christians meant to be? And so with that being said, would you join me in standing as we read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to look at this today and ask that kind of question of what is, what is a pastor? What is the church? What does it mean to be a Christian? Paul, writing to Timothy, says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray once again for our time together today. Father, we uh, sit underneath the writings of Paul today. We believe not just written by an imprisoned apostle, but inspired by your Holy Spirit speaking to us today. And so we pray that you would open us up, God, to hear to reflect and God to receive what it means to be your people. God, in, in a moment where it's confusing to answer the question, not just what is a pastor, but what is the church meant to be? What are Christians meant to be? May Paul's words today help us to, to find our footing, help us find a way forward. And we pray, amen. We'll go and be seated. Well, I'll just say, I am grateful for all of you guys today. I, I Came back, I just said about this a moment ago in the announcements. After two weeks, there's something different about two weeks of vacation than like one week of vacation where you actually get into like weird vacation, like Zen mode is what we were, me and my wife were referring to it as. And so that's really awesome. But then when you fly home and then preach the next morning, it's like whip, it's big time whiplash. So I'll just say from the get-go, Ryan's doing his best today. Be gracious with me. I'm still like sitting by the pool reading science fiction novels, you know, is like where my brain is. So uh, that's extra prayer, extra grace. I want to start with the first two words that Paul writes there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then. This is such an interesting way to begin it because it links us back to what we were looking at last week with Pastor Isaac. Paul begins this section not just with fatherly affection saying, you then my child, but you then. This is a comparing, comparative, contrasting idea here. So he had just talked about Phileas and Hermogenes, great names. If any of you guys are pregnant or looking to have new kids, um, they're not actually you know, good people in the Bible story, so maybe don't use those names. But at the end of chapter 1, Paul was just talking about these two uh, former church leaders who have now been bringing all sorts of mess within the church. And Paul then opens this section by saying, you then, or as it can be translated, you however, or as one translation puts it, you, Timothy, be different. Be different. 
Coming out of looking at Philogelus and Hermogenes, this could be the two words that summarize all of Paul's letter to Timothy. Be different. See, Timothy's pastoral calling here, what Paul is giving him, is a contrast ministry, a pastoral vocation that is opposed to the common ways of doing ministry in and around his city. Before we called the series in 2 Timothy that we're doing, Endure, I originally was toying around with the idea of calling this whole series Peculiar Pastors. And coming out of our Peculiar series, looking at the, the necessity for peculiar pastors in an age of the celebrity pastors and the you know, pastors that are disqualifying themselves and all the moral messes. This you, however, calling for Timothy is the same for pastors today. And man, if I can just personally like air my dirty laundry for a moment, for more than a decade, 2 Timothy has served as a lifeline for me. As I've felt this compulsion and this calling to, to the uh, pastoral work while also um, moving within a strange landscape of what that actually means. For some of you that know my story, for some of you that don't, the week before I started in Bible college, my, uh, one of my closest best friends, his dad was the associate pastor at our church. The week before I started Bible college in moving in the direction of becoming a pastor, uh, this, this kind of second father figure to me, it had come out that he had disqualified himself from ministry over years of infidelity to his wife. And so here I am, I'm starting classes within the next week and we're having this evening church gathering where he's coming up to basically confess and repent what's happened and he's stepping down from ministry. There's been an incredible story of reconciliation and growth in his story. But just hear me. I'm, I'm one weekend going, you know, bright-eyed and mystified. Here we go to pastor land. I'm going to, you know, learn how to teach the Bible. And this is the story that's before me, this kind of second father figure who's disqualified himself. I grew up within a megachurch, which, you know, this is not an anti-megachurch statement, but it is difficult to perceive what is a pastor meant to be in that sort of a context. Similarly, as I move through my story and, and you know, interning at, at different churches and learning what it means to be in ministry and being a pastor, it brought me very early on to Mars Hill, the formerly Rise and Fall named in the podcast, being there for uh, just under a year. Seeing firsthand some of the craziness of what you uh, heard about in podcasts over the last year uh, was, you know, what was happening and being seen by me on a weekly basis. Moving from that, I've been a part of churches and contexts where I've suffered under and seen abusive leadership, coercive leadership. I've seen church networks that have been saturated with pride and celebrity. Within just my 10 years of ministry, I've found three different occasions of infidelity within close pastors that I've been leading with. I've seen the destruction of platform building, and I've had friends and leaders who have departed not just the ministry and not just orthodoxy, but the faith entirely. Second Timothy, Paul's words of you, therefore, you then be different has meant so much to me. Because I say this not just as like, I'm like, you know, solely like a little helpless victim in the midst of all of this. And not because those guys got it all messed up. You know, they messed up, but I've got it all figured out. I'm 31 years old. I have nothing figured out. It's a miracle I'm wearing pants this morning. <laughs> the, the reality is, I, I, of course I don't have this whole thing figured out. But over just my short time in ministry, Paul's words, you then, be different, has a deep resonance for my calling and for my life. 
And as we move into Paul's words today, today's passage is by no means the final word on what this kind of different sort of pastoral vocation looks like. But it, but it does begin to set a trajectory for what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be Christians? And what is a pastor's role within that as setting the example for the church and leading the way? And so what we want to look at is just three things today, and then we'll get ourselves out to lunch and the rest of the week. What does it mean for Timothy and for pastors to be different? He looks at the peculiar purpose of pastors, and with that, the peculiar purpose of the church, the peculiar pattern of pastors, and with that, Christians altogether, and then with that, the power of ministry, the power of the church, the power of each individual Christian. And so... Today, my hope is in setting this forward is that you would find, if those of you that are part of of Collective, that this would begin to set some expectation for not just myself in serving as your pastor, for Isaac or for Lorenzo, Lorenzo, but for you and what to expect from us. And like I said, for those of you that may move away one day and be looking for another church, what sort of things should I be looking for in a pastor? That's the hope. So let's begin. What is the purpose of a pastor? Verse 2 gives it away for us. What does he say in verse 2? He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul saying to Timothy, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The purpose of pastors is the the work of entrusting. The work of taking what has been handed to us and handing it off to others so they may continue that pathway. It is a stewardship of what has been given so the sake that it may be continued to be stewarded by those. It is an entrusting work. It is a demonstrating the work of the gospel and delivering it over to others. It is a responsibility of stewardship. The work of the pastor is not the creation of something. It is not a brand. It is not a personality. It is not a movement, but an entrusting of something that does not have have its origin in them being handed off to others so it may be handed off to others. Paul says, what is that thing that we are handing off is what you have heard from me. This is Paul's way of saying the public teaching that you sat under, Timothy, as you were my little protege following me around as a young man, what you saw me preaching, what you saw me teaching, take that and give that to others. To give the gospel, the good news, the royal announcements that Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Messiah is now king of creation and is redeeming this broken world. Paul is saying, Timothy, I, you saw my ministry, you saw my work, and I'm telling you, I want you to hand that off to others so they may do the same. To declare that something has happened in the work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. Something is going to happen at his return and the redemption of all things. And something is now happening in and among those who believe and have given their allegiance to Jesus as king. I don't know how else to put this, but the gospel, the work of the pastor is about the stewarding of a tradition. And tradition is a stinky word as I'll get out in the city of Los Angeles. Like tradition is icky. We don't like that word. And yet that is the responsibility of the pastor is that we have a a family recipe. We have a family tradition. We have family things that we do. And our responsibility as pastors is not to come and create something new and shiny, to start some movement, to be an iconoclast, or to start a brand, but to hand off what's been handed to us. To steward and give over. As Jesus gave it to Paul, Paul gave it to Timothy, and then to others. And that has been what's been happening for the past 2,000 years. Faithful pastors stewarding what had been given to them. When we were on vacation, we were over in uh, Charleston for the first week and then like Asheville area for the next week. If you haven't been to Charleston, uh, it's hot 
Uh, it's humid as all get out, but it's, it's incredible because one of the things about Charleston is it's one of the oldest like cities in the country. And with that, you have buildings in the downtown that were preserved through the, you know, the Civil War. Like we went on this little horse-drawn uh, carriage tour of like downtown Charleston. It was awesome because the kids loved the horse. Emma loved the horse. Arlo got rocked to sleep by the carriage, which was great. And then, you know, we're just geeking out about the, the history, you know, of, of this city. And one of the things is you're, as you're going around, you're, you're seeing these buildings, some of which are older than the country. Like we went by this old like stockpile magazine area and they're like, oh yeah, this thing was built before, before this, you know, South Carolina existed. And so what's interesting is as you go around, you see all of these old, you know, row homes, these double white houses that are all these old, old homes that have been upkept and they're still being lived in and people are there. And all of this is because of what's, what was called the, the Preservation Society of Charleston. The Preservation Society of Charleston was established in 1920. It's the oldest preservation society, anything like that, in the United States. And what they are is it's a community that works in and around with the city to be dedicated to the ongoing historical authenticity, the cultural character of Charleston, the livability of it. And so what this means is if you buy one of these old homes, these old buildings for business or for your lot, you know, house in Charleston, you cannot do whatever you want with that building. It has a tradition. It has a story that needs to be honored. That doesn't mean like, sorry, you don't have indoor plumbing or you don't have electricity. Updates can be made, but they have to be approved by the Preservation Society to ensure that they are honoring of the house's story and what this house has always been. And if you inherit a house or you buy a, a property where it's an old house that's fallen into disrepair, you can't knock it down. And be, you have to work with what you have to restore it back to what it was. So you can take these homes and, and upgrade them with oversight, ensuring that the, the focus and the vision of what that house has been, honoring this, the tradition of the city within it, but you can't tear it down. As we were riding through, I was just thinking about the contrast between Charleston and these sorts of what, how you can and cannot use buildings and properties within Los Angeles, where by the time you're 30, you're older than half of the buildings in our city. And it made me think even more about this because I think in some way this is what the operation of the church and specifically of pastors is meant to be. It's kind of this gospel preservation society that we receive from us this church tradition. We receive from us the gospel as that it has been demonstrated and delivered to us from those before us. And here's the thing. Sometimes it's a wonderfully upkept house. And really all we got to do is, you know, get fat, we want, you know, fiber optic Wi-Fi or something. And that's like easy to do. Other times we receive, like, that's been part of the difficulty in receiving the American church and the American, like, the gospel as it's been within America is, is realizing, man, there's a lot of stuff that's been really well upkept, but there's a lot of parts of the house that have fallen into disrepair. And so much of the deconstruction movement in our moment is that we want to tear down the whole house because of the fact that there's termites in the back, because of the fact that the house has fallen into disrepair. And I think that's part of the work of the preservation society, the gospel preservation society that the pastors and the church is meant to be, is to honor the house as it has been given to us. That doesn't mean that we just like look away from like racism and capitalism and consumerism and individualism all within the gospel house. We address those things, but we don't tear down the house because of its faults. I think this is some image of what it means to be a pastor. We're not building something new. We're preserving and restoring that which has been handed to us. And we use the words of Paul in the New Testament in church tradition. We look back through history at the way that the house has been cared for, and we compare and contrast how it's been to ask, what does it mean for us to faithfully steward this building, this gospel for our age? 
so that we may hand it down to others. It's an illustration that's stuck in my head all week, and I hope it does for you as well. What it means to be the church is we're not creating something new. We're not iconoclasts. We're not visionaries. This is not a brand that we're building, but the faithful stewardship that Jesus is king, and that means something for this world. And we steward that, and we carry that with one another. And so I, I don't know what this means for you in the way that you relate to the church, but it's worth considering. And I don't know what this means for you in the kind of, as we look out at the different churches that, you know, dot the landscape of Los Angeles. But I think this is a call to a much more simple mode of church life than most of us think. Simple preservation, simple, maybe yes, updating, but, but honoring what's been given to us. We're not here to start anything, but continue in the work that's been done before us. And there's a quick line, though. Who is Timothy to entrust this work to? Who is the, the Gospel Preservation Society meant to be guiding and helping as they hand it off to them? Paul writes to Timothy and says, it entrusts it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, two ways that this can be interpreted is when Paul writes faithful men, uh, anthropos in the Greek, is he's referring specifically to men, and what he's appealing to is elders within the church who are going to be able to teach like, other pastors like Timothy. So right now in Ephesus, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's the lone young pastor. And so Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you need to raise up other men, pastors, to lead the church with you. That's one interpretation. The other is is that the anthropos is that Paul's not saying specifically to men, but just people. And what he's talking about here is not raising up elders, but raising up the church. Uh, More kind of like, you know, uh, great commission kind of language here. Go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. However we interpret this, Paul is is saying, man, this is not just for Timothy to sit here by himself, but to invite the church, to entrust it to them, to carry it out together. And so for some of you, you go, man, I want to be a part of this gospel preservation society. How do I get involved? How do I get engaged in this? The two words that Paul uses there are faithful and able to teach. Reliable and available are the two things that, that pastors that we look for in, in what it means to be part of the church. These are the two things that we hold anyone to who wants to become a mission member, being faithful and available, reliable and present, consistent and, and here. And so I, I don't have any words beyond that. This is, you know, you're getting the, the airplane, you know, version of Ryan right now. Sometimes I wonder in the midst of our desires to be the church and and to be a faithful gospel preservation society that we look to either just the pastors to do it for us or we want to be a contributing part of it in some way without, I think, these two fundamental markers of of what makes us available to be able to do that is, is a faithfulness, a presence that we're here and we're consistent and we're willing and ready to receive and be a part of it. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But I'll just say, this is the mission of Collective Church. You go on our website, it was Theo for like six years, and now Beth is on the front page. Some of you are like, what? You got to open it up right now. But we say this right, right on our website. The mission of our church is we are a community on the west side following Jesus and seeking to reach, teach, and equip others to do the same. That others to do the same, that's precisely what Paul is doing with Timothy right here. I want you, what I've entrusted to you, I want you to entrust to others so they can entrust it to others. I want you to reach, teach, and equip others to follow Jesus. And so 
This is what pastors do. This is what the church is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. Us faithfully demonstrating the work and the kingdom of Jesus to the world and delivering that to others. It's really that simple. Does that have implications on justice? You bet. We did 12 weeks on it two years ago. Does that have implications on on our ethics? We just got done teaching about this. Yes, about our souls and the emotional health. Absolutely. All of those things are, are yes and amen, but all of those fall under the larger framework of demonstrating and delivering the gospel, of entrusting to one another and walking in what's been given to us. And so this is the purpose of pastors, and with it, all of us, is to carry out the work of the gospel. What is the pattern for that work? How are we to do this work? How do we entrust? How do we demonstrate and deliver the gospel? Because if my years of ministry have taught me anything like I talked about a moment ago, how we demonstrate and deliver, how we entrust, is just as important as what we entrust. And I think sometimes we focus so much on theological fidelity to the gospel that we lose the importance of how we carry the gospel to our city. In verses three and six, Paul gives three patterns, three icons, three images for how pastors and for how all Christians are meant to be the gospel preservation society, how they're meant to entrust, to deliver and demonstrate the gospel to one another. The three examples he gives, and we'll detail these fairly quickly. The first is the example of a soldier. A soldier, not in the sense of swinging swords, but a soldier in the expectation of suffering. Over the past couple of years, there's been a bunch of pastors who, you know, take to Twitter. And they, as they're detailing with all of the, the stress of what pastoral ministry has brought over the past few years, they say things like, I didn't sign up for this. And after I spend time with Paul and Timothy here, I, 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 don't, I, I think you did. Paul seems to hear not say that suffering in, in the Christian work or the pastoral vocation is not something that, that should be avoided or something that might happen. It's an expectation. As one pastor in Portland, John Mark Comer, put it, that suffering is part of the pastoral call. And this happens, yes, from external pressures and, and persecution. Paul is writing this from prison. He's about to be beheaded by Nero. So yes, there is the external. But I think just as often is the internal suffering that comes from within the church as um, we're just all emotionally unhealthy people trying to figure out how to get a little bit more healthy each day. And what that means is, is in that emotional and health that pastors, we can regularly be the, uh, it's not the word victim, but we can regularly find ourselves in the difficulties of folks' projection onto us, reading in all of their hopes and expectations for what the church should be, and at the end of the day, who they should be as a Christian gets read on, onto them. I found that so interesting is, is most of the time when people have frustration with me, very regularly, it's, it's normally because I've done something stupid that I need to apologize of and repent of. But very regularly, sometimes what's going on there is their own frustrations with their own walk with Jesus and an expectation of who they should be as a Christian. And then they expect Ryan or Lorenzo or Isaac or someone else to be that for them. Projection or the transference Transference being where I take the expectations that I had for some other family member that, that wronged me or some other pastor who hurt me or some other relationship that they abandoned me, and I take that emotion and I read that on to someone else. And so that person is never able to be truly that person to me. They always are seen through the filter of my father. They're always seen through the filter of that other pastor that I had, that teacher, that friend. Similarly, we can, pastors, find ourselves sharing in the suffering of Jesus as we find blame shifting that happens, people grasping for control. 
Now, I don't say all this. This is, again, not right. I didn't sign up for this. This is part of being a pastor. It says we're working in, the, in learning how to follow Jesus more closely. We're all bringing our stories and our emotional unhealth. And part of the responsibility of the pastor is to, like Jesus, have a, a tough skin but, a, but a, a, a soft heart. And what I mean by that is that we know that as we're working into emotional health together, we are going to be bringing unhealthy perspectives onto each other. We're going to be doing this work. And so that's part of what Paul's saying is, Timothy, in order to be a faithful pastor— in order for people to work through the process of sanctification, it's going to require, there's going to be emotional unhealth in the community. There's going to be not seeing eye to eye. There's going to be challenges. And if you think this means this is just for pastors, this means this is your discipleship group right now. This is your marriage. This is your family. This is the people that you're sitting next to rubbing shoulders with right now. For us to be a community that's following Jesus into more health, it means that the unhealth is going to be beaten off only through relational challenges and difficulties. And so Paul says, don't run from the suffering that comes from being in community following Jesus. Share in it together. Being a soldier means not just that we expect suffering. It means that we're also, he says, being single-minded, not distracted by anything else, but focused solely on one thing, which Paul says is the pleasure of the commanding officer. So what this means for pastors is that the pastor's singular focus in ministry is not book deals or conferences or Sunday attendance or being a catalytic leader or getting the approval of the church, but the pleasure of Jesus. So hear me, I'm not anti-books. I love books. I'm not conferences. I go to anti-conferences and pastors speaking there. I go to them. I'm not against healthy churches that are growing and attendance going up. And I'm not against churches that, you know, people actually like their pastor. I, I really like being, you know, when you guys like me, that makes me really, that's really a nice week. But Paul says that to be faithful, to walk in the single-mindedness of a soldier is to be wary of how quickly those things can distract you from the greater work of being a pastor, the greater work of following Jesus, which is that sole focus on his pleasure and not the praise, the pleasure, the enjoyment of others. If I can just say for a moment, I think one of the main things that I've been reflecting on coming out of you know, the, the really unhealthy, coercive, controlling church leadership models and trying to follow Paul and Timothy in a new way of pastoral ministry, a, a you-then-be-different kind of a thing, is I found myself so prone to overswing to the other side, which rather than returning to a faithfulness of Jesus is, rather than control and coercion, if I'm just everybody's best friend and I'm the most relational pastor out there, then, then I can avoid all of the, the problems that those guys fell themselves into. And, and I've been so aware lately of how that is just as uh, destructive to the work of Jesus and the faithfully demonstrating and delivering of the gospel as the other side. And I think what you're gonna, we're going to find, this is actually not Ryan thinking, this is uh, pastor and kind of cultural commentator Mark Sayers, that as we've had all of these big church fallout stories over here because of control and coercion, that our generation is going to be the one. The podcast that like our kids are going to be listening to is going to be pastors where churches ate themselves alive because the pastors couldn't stand for anything. And they were just constantly placating to the most unhealthy members of the church community, trying to be friends with everyone. So that doesn't mean I don't love you guys and and that Isaac and Lorenzo, we don't love you guys and we want relationship. But the main focus of the pastor and what should be the main focus of all of us is the pleasure of Jesus. The focus of him is our commanding officer. The second uh, pattern of ministry that Paul gives is that of an athlete, not um, in body, uh, because I'd be disqualified, 
but specifically in, in the fact that the pastor is meant to be like an athlete in the fact that he plays by the rules. That, that part of being a pastor, part of what you should look for in a pastor is someone that doesn't cut corners. Someone that doesn't look for shortcuts in your growth or in the stewardship of what the church is meant to be. You see, the athlete who doesn't court corners and plays by the rules, he has to focus on being dedicated to the craft, dedicated to the sport, dedicated his body playing to be able to do exactly what he or she needs to do in order to win the prize. They can't take the shortcuts. I remember sitting with my dad in like, I think it was 98 when Mark McGuire had, he broke the uh, uh, home run uh, record or whatever. I'm not, I'm, my dad and my other brother are far more sports guys. I had it for like three years. And then I just like, I like books and Star Wars. So we're just going to stick with that. But I remember watching Mark McGuire. My dad let us all stay up late so we could watch the game. And so he swings it just amazing. You know, the whole house where everybody's erupting and we're watching the whole stadium's losing their mind as this, you know, Mark McGuire wins it. And then there comes in a couple of years later, what do we find out? But Mark McGuire taking shortcuts, cutting corners, steroids. And in, in doing so, then what? The whole record is now completely tainted over that season. See, pastors have been entrusted. What you should look for in a pastor is someone who's not perfect, but someone who has integrity. Spiritual integrity, relational integrity, familial integrity, financial integrity, as we keep seeing in the news, sexual integrity, theological integrity. And the only way that you get that is by seeing that person play the game on and off the field. And so that's why, I, again, I'm not anti-megachurch, but I do think there's something to be said for how can you know that your pastor is walking in integrity other than the fact that you've got a church that's small enough that you can actually know him. So again, I'm not anti, but I might be anti. You see, Paul calls for the athlete to play by the rules and for the church to be able to look at them. Paul regularly does that in his writings where he goes, you know how I was with you. He goes, you know how I was gentle, I was present, I was patient. I wasn't uh, skimping off the offering. I was caring for the poor. I was dedicated to you. I was lifting you up in prayer. You know how I was. Paul says it's the athlete who plays by the rules, who doesn't cut corners, is the one who obtains the victor's crown. This is another way of him talking about Jesus' pleasure. The third and the most challenging in our age image of what pastors and what the church is meant to be is like that of a farmer in a field. See, the farmer works hard for sure, but it's a work that is patient, it's slow, it requires perseverance, it's simple, and it's unglamorous. The faithful farmer is the one who works the field day in and day night, day in and day out. He comes home with dirt under his fingernails, scratches and bumps, all with very little to show from it from day over to day, but all in the hope that by the end of the season that there will be a harvest to show. I think this is the most challenging vision of what a pastor and what the church is meant to be for us in an age where we believe that character can be put into a microwave. When you can order just about anything online and get it within two days, we think that somehow a, a fully formed church or a fully sanctified self, if that's even possible, can be found through going to one retreat, one sermon series. The image of the church is a field. You, I want you to take it. The image for yourself is like, I'm plant daddy. I got plants all in my house. My dad was watching uh, my dog for the past couple of days while we were out of town. And uh, he was just, I, the first thing he said when we came home from the airport last night, he's like, you have so many plants. It's like, yes. Uh, and I, I, that it, what, a, what a wonderful image is I was gone for two weeks and I came back and there's like so much growth. 
Like Monstera leaves all over the place now. I got a snake plant that he's like growing up in new ways. I'm, I'm, I get very excited about this. But here's the whole thing. I very rarely see those, those things when it's like every single day that I'm seeing the plants. And when I had the distance of the two-week break to come back, that's when I actually saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, look how much these things grow when I'm not looking at it constantly. And, and I would just, I want to encourage you. There are some of you right now that you're trying to follow Jesus in the midst of one of the most insane eras in human history. And you feel like you are just stagnant. And I just want to encourage you as, as your pastor. I don't know all of you, but I know most of you. And I'm able to see in all of you that slow, steady growth, the sort of thing that you're going to look back in in the months and years to come and find a deep work of the Spirit. And it comes to the simple rhythms of gathering each week, coming to the table, opening the scriptures, praying with each other. These really simple, ordinary things are what water the soul and the heart and lead to deep growth and deep fruit. And so I just want to encourage some of you right now that the farmer image is the one that I think you need most. It's just that just because you don't see the growth that's happening, it doesn't mean it's not there. Now, if I can be challenging for a moment, I just want to compare these three portraits of pastoring and, and with it, the church and with it, Christianity. A soldier who shares in suffering, an athlete who plays by the rules, and a farmer who does the slow, unglorious work. I think for most of us, if we were to put into words and begin to identify the kind of language, or, or maybe not how we would say it, but we would live it, the way that we operate in our relationship to the church, is rather than a soldier who's sharing in suffering, we think of the church as a cruise ship for us to share in the comforts of it. I went and saw uh, the new Top Gun movie before I left town with the Liverance brothers, um, and I was so glad I wasn't sitting behind them, but next to them. Those boys are tall. And um, so we, we're sitting there, and I was just, it was just, you know, you got these, these airline carriers, they launch these ships off, you know, and Tom, Tom Cruise is, is wonderful. They let him get rid of his unibrow in the sequel, and so I was really happy for that. Go back and watch the first one. I don't know how that movie was made he did the whole time. Anyway, um, and so it's just interesting when you consider the two images of like an airliner that's like launching ships out into warfare and like a, as a cruise ship, you know, with like a buffet and like soft serve ice cream. And, and which one of those are we more prone to think of the church as? And specifically, is the pastor meant to be one soldier amidst leading the other soldiers or a waiter, making sure that you have all the comforts that you have? I'm not saying that's most of you. I think in collective, we've, we have enough of a culture that most of, most of those people don't want to be here. But, but think about that for a moment. What is the image of, is it a cruise ship or is this an airline carrier? Are, 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 are Christians and pastors meant to be athletes running the race or spectators sitting by and watching someone else do it for them? Are we meant to be farmers working the toil and working the land or simply just consumers receiving off what others have gotten for us? I think there's these images that Paul, I just love in verse 7, the way that he says, we'll come back to it in a moment, but he goes, I want you to think about this, and the Lord will give you understanding in it all. Think about those images. If you were to iconify the way that you see the church, would it be those sorts of pictures? A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. To have suffering be something not that we run from, but that we expect to be single-minded instead of distracted, instead of cutting corners with microwave spirituality, to be committed to the deep, long work of soul change within ourselves and within our city. So if these are the three images before us, how can we do this? As we begin to close and wrap up, how can we do this? And with this, images being true for not just pastors, but all Christians, how can we endure in these focus, in this vision? 
Because all of us have seen the rates of pastors that have been leaving the ministry, some for the right reasons, but some out of burnout, some pastors leaving the faith, Christians deconstructing and walking away from the faith. How can we endure in this kind of faithful work? What's the strength and power of it all? Return with me back to chapter 2, verse 1, where after saying, you then, you know, be different, my child, he says what? Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Be empowered. Be strengthened not in gifting. Be strengthened not in skills, not in planning, not in your seminary degree, not in your planning, not in the systems that you have for your church, not your ministry model. Be strengthened not in your charisma, not in your celebrity social clout. Be strengthened not through control or coercion, but what? Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The power of the church, of pastors and with it all Christians, is derived from our union with Jesus as Jesus' beloved. The superpower of the church is our daily communion, abiding, as Jesus says in John's gospel, abiding in the vine, living in a daily communion with him. As my Yoda uh, puts it, Jim He's told it to me for over a decade now and said it over and over again, multiple times in every single call to the point that I tell him to shut up, but I still need to hear it. He says, the greatest gift that you as a pastor give to your church and that any of us have to give to our families, to give to anyone, is our transformed and transforming presence. The greatest strength for your life to get you through not just entrusting this gospel work and being a part of the gospel preservation society or whatever that is the church. The strength for your life, the greatest power in your life is your transformed and transforming presence. Who you have been made in Christ and who Jesus is continuing to work out in you through his grace. And, and I don't think most Christians, let alone most pastors, let alone me most very often believe this to be true, that the power of the church is the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is shown in just how you know, multiple retired pastors, when asked at, the, at their, them retiring after decades of faithful ministry, what was your greatest regret in ministry? Over and again, I've heard it as I've asked the question. I didn't pray more. The power of the church is Prayer. The power of pastors, the power of you as an individual Christian is your deep abiding union and finding the power that is in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so pastors as a whole, but the church as a whole need to be strengthened by the grace. And so this comes through a daily way of abiding. This comes through a weekly Sabbath. This is, this is the reasoning behind Lorenzo on sabbatical right now is that their strength for ministry is not found in anything but a deep abiding in Jesus. And if there's one passage, one thing that has cut me deeply, and over the past two weeks where I was like, I'm not going to worry about the sermon. I'm just going to kind of sit and enjoy the pool. But the thing that has kept coming back to my mind and been a source of prayer and conviction and, and thinking has been my propensity to look for strength and a power for ministry and for this church apart from abiding in the grace that is found in Jesus. Again, moving not towards control or coercion, but that hyper swinging to the other side, which is where if, if I just am everybody's best friend, you guys are all, we're all just gonna be like a really awesome church all of a sudden. And not out of, 
actually getting away from that and going into the hidden place of prayer, of communion with the Spirit, of that place on my knees, in the Father's arms, through the Spirit, that being the power for my ministry and leading our church, leading you and I as individuals, but also as a community, in that as the great place, as the great source of how our church is going to thrive. I don't take back anything that I said in the Peculiar series, but or in our Ephesians series, or in Proverbs, or in Ecclesiastes. All of that is good. Like, I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff, actually, I would, I would say differently <laughs> in those teachings. But I don't take back, what I mean by this is, yes and amen to preaching, and to the work of knowing our Bibles better, and the work of sitting under teaching and, and gathering. But if we miss out on the deep power that is found in abiding in the presence of Jesus, then we just will not have the ministry to make it within the city or within our faith. If there's one thing that's been sitting on me in this text, it's been that. And so I would ask you, as, as your pastor, as me encouraging you in this, for you to do the same, to encourage me in this, that I, I need this. As your pastor, you need a pastor who is able to say that the strength of my ministry is my deep abiding in the grace that I have in Jesus Christ. You deserve that. And so my commitment, and I can't speak for Isaac, but he's, he's nodding at me right now, is that we, that we would be the sort of community that would lead, the pastors that would, that would display this for you. Because we need this grace to be the source of our strength. Because this grace is the source of the grit to make it all. You see, when a pastor, when the church's power for ministry is found in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, we begin to have a church where we can actually not just sing, but live out things like, yet not I, but Christ in me. When we begin to walk in the grace that we have in Jesus, we as pastors are able to no longer live either as slaves to our own narcissism or as the beck and call of the community because we're able to live in who Jesus says I am. And what that means is then we can say, you know what? Nothing I do as a pastor is ever gonna be good enough. Nothing I do, or excuse me, everything I do. Here, you know, here's just put this out there. This is the big thing. Everything I do as a pastor, everything Isaac does and Lorenzo does as a pastor can be picked apart, and that's okay. And as long as we are fighting for our identity in this pastoral thing, apart from the grace that's in Jesus, we will never be able to say that. But when we come back to the grace of Jesus as being the source of the power of the church, then all of those things about Bible knowledge and skills and ways that we do ministry, those become so set low and so, yeah, it's important, don't get me wrong, but that's not the power of our ministry. That's not the main thing that's keeping us from moving forward as a church. See, we have to find the grace that Jesus is offering for us if we want to really live into what, to endure, to be the church that we've been called to. You see, as we live into that grace that we find in Jesus, we find the power then for our purpose because we are then so amped up and excited to point people to Jesus and not rebuilding some new thing because we found Jesus. We found the, you know, the, the old house, as it were, to be the source of hospitality and grace and life. And so our, our primary goal then is getting people to the gospel given to us in Jesus and not anything else because we found that to be the place. When we spend time abiding in the grace that is found in Jesus, that too becomes the source of power as we walk in those three patterns of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer because we've experienced those deeply as being the way that Jesus engages with us in our souls. We're able to share in suffering because we've spent time with Jesus, the one who suffered for us. 
we're able to take no shortcuts because we've seen how committed Jesus is to the long haul of faithfully working with us. And we're able to take the slow, the slow you know, view of, of change in our church and within one another and within ourselves because we see that Jesus is patient with us. So where do we go from here today? I mean, for some of you, maybe you have some, you know, ideation or sense of calling towards pastor or church leadership at some point. Some of you are like, I just want to be a faithful Christian. Some of you are like, I got dragged in here. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm ready for lunch. Verse seven, I think, is, is a good a place of any to end where Paul says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I, there, my prayer all week has just been, man, we need to talk about pastor's roles within the church and within our world. And yet what this means for you, other than like what to expect out of Ryan and Isaac and Lorenzo, my hope has been today that, you, that you've seen that Christians calling and what pastors serve within that is not that pastors are some kind of weird special breed of Christian, but, but grace-filled examples of the Christian life. And so whatever I've said here is true for me or Lorenzo or Isaac is true for each and every single one of us. And so as we move into time of response, I would just ask you, what, what is the purpose, when you think of your life, whether or not you identify as a Christian, what is the purpose of your life? Some of you are exhausted because you've been trying to build a house. Some of you are discouraged because you've been trying to tear down the, the life that you've been given. And I think I would just encourage you, I would want to invite you to think more like a preservation society than an Angelino. To say, what if, what if in Jesus, what if in the gospel there is something far more magnificent, a story being offered for me to play a part, a home for me to move into? One that, yes, is broken, has got work to do, but, but one that is evidently filled with life and story and power. For some of you that are wanting to walk in that, I would, I would encourage you to ask, are you faithful and available? Are you reliable and able within this mission, within this calling? For some of you, it's one of those patterns that stick out to you of a soldier who's willing to share in suffering for the sake of the church. It's the athlete who's not hiding anything, cutting corners, but is walking fully in faithfulness. For some of you, it's the farmer. It's just that, you know, microwave church sounds awesome. You know, we grew up with toaster strudels and you're like, why can't the church be that way? Whatever it is, my invitation for all of us today is to find the power for your life and mine, the power for this work of continuing in the proclamation of the gospel. And it's not just declaration, but being displayed at work within us is only found by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ.